time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. Tracy Silverman, the host of the For the Greater Groove, the Future of Strings podcast. I'm so thrilled to have my buddy Matt Bell on as my guest today. Many of you may know Matt from his podcast. He's got the Rockstar Violinist podcast, which everybody in this community listens to. Uh, It's kind of been a a community-centering vehicle, I think. And uh, you've been hosting that for for a year. How how long? Yeah, several years. Um, I mean, the one big the big highlight was the Tracy Silverman episode. (laughs) Just about everybody in this community has been a guest on that show, uh, including the biggest names like Lindsey Sterling Mm -hmm. and folks like that. Yeah, Mark Um, Wood was episode one. Daryl Anger was on there. Joe D. A lot of the a lot of the folks you've talked to. Yep. All the usual suspects. All the cool kids. <laughs> All the go- and you're up to like episode 65 now yeah, or something? Yeah, something like that. Of and, the uh, show. So it's, man, it's it's been a real honor to meet some of these people. And uh, and, and I, I just like, every day I can't believe how cool my job is. Like my job <laughs> is to hang out with rock stars all day. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? And a lot of people also know you, many because I have... I have um, recommended so many people to go talk to you over at the electric violin shop because, you know, for for a lot of us players, people ask us, you know, what do you play? What do you recommend? My kid is thinking of getting. And I used to, you know, try to figure it out with them. And now I just go talk to Matt. He will help you. He knows all the latest gear, all the, you know, everything that's happening, what's going to be coming out, stuff like that. Um, because you work at the electric violin shop, uh, where you are a the content creator, the social media manager, uh, doing a lot of you know all their um, posting every day. Uh, your artist relations manager, you you know get to deal with all the rock stars. By the way, in addition to killing it on social media, uh, Matt also provides all the photographs that he yep. um, posts on his social media posts for the electric violin shop. And I used a lot of those same images, thanks to his kind permission, in my Core Jams book. So thank you for that, man. And you host the weekly live stream from the shop, which is an incredible educational resource that Raz was just on uh, last week. And so many, so many uh, wonderful people have been on. Um, And you talk about stuff like the use of effects with the violin, studio and live and studio engineering, stage presence, you know, how to stand on stage and not look like a classical violinist. 
<laughs> That's not a big challenge for me. I do not look like a classical violinist. <laughs> you know, I used to look a lot less like a classical violinist when I had hair longer than yours, but and dyed white like the guy from Twisted Sister. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk about songwriting, networking in the musical community. You know, you cover just about everything on that on that show. Uh, as well as being a clinician and doing all kinds of educational stuff with ASTA and the Markwood Rock Camp and uh, Strings Without Boundaries, Fiddle Hell, lots of other, uh, and all kinds of private um, workshops that you do. Um, but, you know, and aside from being one hell of an electric violinist yourself uh, and breaking all kinds of new ground and really showing how the gear can and should be used... Aside from all of that, one of the main reasons I really wanted you on this show is because you are sort of in this really enviable position of being in the, the catbird seat in the progressive string world. You know, because you are in this sort of hub of what's happening, you know everybody, what everybody's using, what they're doing, you're talking to everybody. And there is nobody, I think, on earth who can give us a better overview of what's going on in the progressive string world and where we are headed. If anyone can see the future of strings, it's Matt Bell, rock star violinist. It's crazy, man. Every day I wake up and I'm like, I cannot believe that this is my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where are we headed? I, yeah, it's a great question. So... Um, I see from two different angles. I see from the uh, the social media angle where I'm plugged in on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. And you know, I'm way too old to be on TikTok, but I'm on TikTok. <laughs> yep. Right. You can find Electric Violin Shop in all those places. Um, we see a growing audience hmm. in all of those places. There are more and more people that are aware that um, electric violin is a thing. Yeah or even just amplified violin, right? Whether they're putting a mic on it or a pickup. Right. Um, and we're starting to see people recognize that violin is a viable instrument in non-orchestral settings. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to see people recognize that uh, hip hop violin, EDM violin, right. rock violin, jazz violin, like more, more and more people are learning about this, that the violin really is a very, very versatile yes. instrument. Yes. And then amplified violin even more mm -hmm. versatile. Uh, we're seeing uh, as effects are getting better and better, we're seeing uh, Line 6 with their Helix, uh, right. Boss has got some great products. Zoom has got some great products. There's a lot of companies out there that are really stepping up their game on processors. And so many of these processors sound great on violins. Right. And the more and more artists, the Lindsey Sterlings of the world, the Brian King Josephs of the world, the Taylor Davises of the world, D Sharp, all these guys that are getting big followings more and more kids are learning about early in earlier in life. They're learning right. that that just playing in the school orchestra is not the only option available to me Yes. if I'm going to be a string player. Exactly. Right? And then in education, you've got people like Tracy Silverman, <laughs> you've got uh, Julie Lyon-Lieberman, you've got Martha Mook, you've got Mark Wood, right. all working to educate young people in um, the, the value or the, the existence of strings outside the orchestral world. Yes. And then... 
I happen to be a grad student right now at the University of Illinois, Champaign, yep. where Dr. Rudolf Hawken has an undergraduate, a master's, and a doctoral program all available so, in electric strengths. So I'm amazing. working on my master's degree in electric violin right now. Chuck Bontrager is working on his DMA. I know that violin. is so cool that you guys are there together. Uh, and then there's a number of people in the undergraduate program, and we're working to recruit more. Awesome. So there is a recognition by at least one Power 5 school that electric violin is a legitimate instrument. And it's not, you know, we're not saying, oh, this oh must be a jazz program or a rock program. It's right. not. Right. It is we're doing a lot of classical music hmm. and it turns out it's the evolution of the instrument from the you know the pre-baroque instruments that we had through uh the baroque violin through a modern acoustic violin and then the electric violin this is all one arc of evolution yes exactly you know the the violin that stradivarius built is different from the stradivarius that we hear today because we've modernized it basically made it louder as venues get bigger and bigger and instruments need to get louder and louder. Right. Uh, we, we now have the, the next step in that evolution. Yes. Is the electric violin. And yes, I think there are some more steps kind of um, in progress for something to be even post a, a standard electric violin. Yes. Um, so many interesting things happening in the digital realm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the violin, bowed string instruments have been around for several hundred years. And I think there are more and more exciting things happening um, as the instruments evolve and as technology changes and as the ability to make different sounds with these instruments in louder and louder um, areas. And then of course, the fact that an electric violin is not only louder than an acoustic, it's also quieter than an acoustic. <laughs> that is such a good point. People always, Forget that, you know, because it's essentially a silent violin. You can turn it way down. Which means even in a very small venue, everything that my listener hears is what's coming out of the speaker, not what's coming off the instrument. So I'm able to manipulate that signal, whether it be by pitch shifting or delays or uh, looping or what, whatever kind of electronic manipulation I want to make to that signal. If it's a solid body electric violin, the audience is not hearing the instrument itself. They're only hearing that manipulated signal, uh, which yes. you know, just opens all kinds of doors for composers. And as more yes. and more composers are becoming hip to this instrument, um, I think we're going to see more and more creative uses of the differences between standard acoustic violins and amplified violence. Exactly. So that's where I think it's headed. I think it's really exciting. I think we're on the cusp of some really, really cool things that are uh, that are happening. And, it, and as techniques are getting um, brought out by guys like you and Daryl Anger and some of these different chopping techniques and, you know, where the violin can be a not only a melodic instrument, but with extended range, a chordal instrument. Exactly, and yes. With some of these other techniques, mm -hmm. a percussive instrument. Right. Um, Man, I, I just I think the sky's the limit. Yes. Well, <laughs> me too. So wonderful to hear this great report from the front lines of the future of strings looking rosy. I like it. 
And it's something that I really uh, appreciate about you, uh, Matt, is that you really have a wonderfully um, broad way of looking at all of this in a, in a very um, non-judgmental way. I mean, I know, you know, you are a rock star yourself and a, a rock and roller, uh, and yet you see... Th- the the real potential for contemporary composers in the new music world, which is pretty much on the other end of that spectrum for the electric violin. Uh, and I think it's no accident that you are kind of there at the electric violin shop in that in the hub of the uh, progressive string world. Uh, I, I guess sort of, yeah, it's um, you know, we just we just happened to move close to the electric violin shop. I was a customer there before I worked there. Is that right? <laughs> um, my wife is from North Carolina. I met her when we were living in Texas. And uh, then we went to Guatemala for two years. Was She's a physician, so we were doing medical missionary work down there, working with the Mayan Indians. Awesome. And then when it was our time to come back to the United States, I wanted to come back to Texas where I was plugged into the, that Texas music scene, right. which is no joke. I love the Texas music scene. Um, and she's from North Carolina. And so we said, well, I want to come to Texas. You want to go to North Carolina. Let's compromise and we'll go to North Carolina. <laughs> she told me that's what compromise That's means. how it works. That's exactly so, how uh, it works. So we compromised and we, she actually ended up in Greenville, North Carolina. Uh-huh. She was a professor at the ECU College, uh, the School of Medicine. Oh, cool. And was a practicing physician there and a professor in the med school for six years and she kind of got tired of these 100-hour weeks. Yeah. So she's also a pharmacist. So she ended up getting a job with a pharmaceutical company in Raleigh. So we moved to Raleigh and happened to be maybe 15 minutes from Electric Violin Shop. And Chris Gewin at Electric Violin Shop knew that I was in town. And they had a customer coming in from out of town who wanted to buy a Viper. And they didn't have any Vipers in stock. Uh. <laughs> So Chris said, hey, man, you know, I don't know what you're doing Monday, but could you come into the shop and bring your Viper and let this person try it out? Yeah, man, you know, I got nothing else to do, so I'll come into town. And and I was only 15 minutes away. And and so I bring the Viper in, and I'm sort of showing this person, well, here's what frets do, and here's how the self-supporting thing, and here's why I like it. It helps me sing. And, and, and he kind of stood back, and I just explained how and why you might want to pick this instrument. And when I was done, he was like, so do you want a job? <laughs> I was like, not really. You know, I'm, I'm touring with a band doing about 150 dates a year. I was a stay-at-home dad. I had a, a four-year-old and a newborn at home. And wow. I was like, nah, I don't really want, I don't have time for a job. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, maybe like part-time, just a couple hours here and there. And, and you can buy gear at cost. And I went, gear, you got me. Gear at cost. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so that's how it started. And, um, you know, now my kids are older, they're in school. And so I'm there two days a week. I'm there Monday and Wednesday, uh, sort of answer all the, the, cause I'm also a sound engineer. So I answer all the questions that sort of touring and touring artist questions. And then, Hey, I'm having a problem. Like I got a buzz or, you know, when I'm on this stage, this is happening. And so a lot of the sound engineering type questions, and then I'll help people spec out their rigs if they, you know, People will say, well, I need, uh, you know, I want an electric violin. What's the best one? I say, well, it's like asking what's the best pair of shoes. Yeah. I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's you know, do you a need great hiking answer. boots? Do you need flip-flops? Do you need running shoes? <laughs> what do you need? So once we find out what they need, right. then we can figure out sort of what, what are the best application for those things. And I think it's probably, I, I've toured for 25 years 
and done you know literally thousands of shows in so many different venues that you learn what works here and what works there and you know as you know there's not really a one-size-fits-all solution so just trying to help people find the thing that's going to work the best for them yeah that's wonderful and there are very few people that have the skill set that you have you know um, with the elect, all the different gear, the live situations, and as a fiddle player, not as a guitar player. When I say fiddle, I right. mean violin. You know, um, uh, because it's a it's a different animal, and the same gear. We use a lot of the guitar gear, but it doesn't sound the same. And um, right. you know, uh, electric violin is just different animal. So having somebody. Who you know? I know when I when somebody asks me and I refer them to you, I know that they're they're gonna get the right answer. Uh, and there are very few people that can really give that to them. Well, we try. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. And um, you know, let's just jump into our first uh, official segment here: the Groove Hacker. Uh, and I yeah. think we're gonna take a tune of yours. A tune. You have a lot of great titles for your tunes you got you got songs like my sunglasses are cooler than yours <laughs> and this one i really love a familiar sounding title my fiddle wants to kill your mama <laughs> yeah i wish i had written this one this is a it's a remake of a zappa tune and it was my guitar wants to kill your mama so I, I sort of reimagined it a little bit it's you know when you listen to the zappa version it's very just really eclectic because he's Frank Zappa. And uh, so I, this was, I, I did a single every month in 2020, which is suicidal, by the way. Don't yes. ever do that. That's <laughs> it's a horrible idea. That was way more work than I thought it was going to be. But this one, you know, as we started 2020, we were thinking, silly us, we were thinking this is going to be a great year. Like we're going to do all <laughs> kinds of collaborations with everybody. So this tune ended up being a big collab. And I thought if we're going to play pay tribute to Frank Zappa, I want this thing to be kind of bizarre. So I took the first solo with kind of a rock style. And then uh, my buddy Drew Ford, that viola kid, yep. uh, I said, well, let's do like a classical style thing. And Drew Ford crushed the viola solo on that. Joe Denizon played sort of a, a reggae type solo. Yep. Ross Holmes just went into outer space with this <laughs> love kind it. of Cajun type thing. The fiddly thing with a little bit of jazz oh in there. And then Patrick Contreras did sort of a Latin style thing. Yeah. And then we're back to singing again. Um, but the yeah, this song, it's the groove. I'm I'm more of a punk rock guy. And so I play with a drummer all the time. So for me, a groove is really less like what you and uh, Daryl and Joe and all these guys that will do stuff where they are creating all the groove. My job is to not screw up the groove that the drummer puts down. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of trying to find the, the pocket where the drummer's doing most of the work. Right. But, you know, as string players, we tend to play in front of the beat a lot. And I've had drummers sit me down and shake me and be like, bro, you have to stop doing it. You're wrecking the whole vibe of the song. Wow. So teaching me how to get back and lay back into that pocket. And so that's where this one kind of has that groove. Um, and and I've read your book. I've read the Strumbowing <laughs> book and I've taken the Strumbowing classes. And, and this one I sort of came at with a little different approach than the groove on where instead of keeping everything moving all the time, 
you know, because... I, I wanted that first one to be a little longer. So it really takes up sort of two groove-ons. Mm -hmm. So instead of being truly if i were going to do it the the tracy way it would be down down up down 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 up i'm actually because that that first one lasts two groove ons it flips me right so the second one instead of being up which it really should be just ends up being down yeah yeah So it's a little bit different, and it's a thing that I actually sat down and was trying to work it the other way, and it was like it wasn't meshing yeah. in my brain with what I was singing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that, it, and it's more of a sort of it's more of a metal or a punk for sure thing than I'm I'm not doing a chopping thing where it's front and back. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just sort of the straight up and down. But there's all of this ghosting, muting that's going on. And that's the really interesting thing that I would like people to, to notice here, what, what you're doing with that muting with your left hand. Because uh, that's something that I talk about a lot uh, in terms of ghosting. Um, but most string players, at least classical string players, never do that. It's just something you never, ever do in uh, in the classical world, um, muting with your left hand to get these right. percussive noises because who needs noise in the classical world? Where you know everybody's trying to avoid, everyone's trying to get tone <laughs> and beauty, and nobody respects the power of sheer noise, amplified right. noise, um, which is a very powerful way to uh, make music. You know, drummers have been doing it for centuries so yeah if i wasn't doing that you just have right and that just right that doesn't sound good yeah here let me grab my fiddle for a second i just want to um make a, a quick point about the the strum bowing kind of a, approach which is this idea of keeping you know a constant grid of down up down ups you know it's the idea of keeping a motor going all the time like you're strumming because I kind of make it sound a little bit doctrinaire in the book because I want, it's very important for classical string players to get used to this idea of moving your bow even when it doesn't say so in the music. Like if there's like a, a held note or a rest or something, you're going to be playing in that rest. So it, it's tough to get that across to classical players. But um, in reality, it gets altered all the time as as you're demonstrating in in this um, mm -hmm. slow it down for a second show people i think yeah. it's really helpful now of course this is a podcast so people can't see but um try to slow it down and and, and show us kind of or tell us walk us through what you're doing with the bow sure so i'm uh see down. so those were alternating but I had to think about what I was doing. So yeah, so I guess I'm doing down, up, up. And then those both two, yes, down, up, up. Yep. Up, down, up. Alternate, down. Yep. 
Yeah, because when I'm pulling down, I, I want to be near the frog, yep. so I've got that real good timing control. Because yep. the further up you are in the bow, the, the like the yep. looser things yep. get. Yeah, exactly. You don't have that. So if weight. I'm pulling that first note hard, I've got to get. I'm to the middle of the bow now, so I've got to get back to the frog. Right. So I use the next two strokes to get back. Yep. And so that's that's where I'm. Yep. That's sort of where I developed that. Like, how am I going to do this bowing? I have to get back to the frog. Right. And you're doing something that I refer to as gesture bowing, which is basically where you put down bows on the strong accents because it's mm -hmm. our, our where our weight is on the bow. And it's the the analogy. Um, you know, the whole gesture analogy is if you're speaking, you tend to you know, like pound on the table on the important words, right? Say an important word, your hand comes down. Well, it's so natural for us to do that. And the, the, down, the down bow of the bow is where we have that accent. So it's very natural for us to go wherever those accents are to put them on down bows. Down, down, up, down. So just to, just to kind of illustrate for our string players, friends out there who are listening to this podcast because they want to be able to play like Matt Bell. And that's what Matt's doing. So um, even though he was apologetic to me because he knew I wrote this book called Strumboing, I just want you to know that that is absolutely, you know, um, the way I would do it, the way um, most people would play that, um, which is contrary to the strict strumboing thing. But anyway. I was so excited when I saw your book because you and I, I mean, you started a little before I did. I started playing electric in the mid nineties. Um, and you know, we didn't have social media to be in contact with each other. Yeah. And I was mostly hanging out with guitar players. I didn't even know any fiddle players. So I was learning from all my guitar player buddies and trying to emulate what they were doing. Yeah. And then when, you know, 20 years later, I bump into this Tracy Silverman guy and he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've written this whole book about how to how to emulate guitar playing with a bow. And I'm like, like, thank God, like I would I had been sort of maybe 70 percent down that road. Yeah. And then when I see like you've sort of codified mm. this and put a little more, I never tried to teach it. Yeah. And I think you were saying in like the Daryl Anger episode of your podcast, like you don't know something until you teach it. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd spent so much more time like putting a system around this. Yeah. I'm like, man, it's like when you first learned physics, like, you know, when you drop a ball, it's going to accelerate till it hits the ground, but you don't, you haven't put any math. To <laughs> exactly. It. How do I explain so, the reason? So I saw Stromboing. Yeah. I was like, that, that. That's explaining all the stuff that I've been trying to do. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, it came from doing the teaching that we used to do with Turtle Island uh, and trying to explain these very complicated, you know, people see what Daryl Anger does. And, you know, he's doing this like a... You know, he's just grooving like a monster. And people are like, slow it down. How do we do it? You know, and so Daryl would slow it down and it would be like, you know, here's this thing. And it looks fairly complex even when you slow it down you know uh and so it was just in an effort uh like i said to daryl it's just basically an effort to uh, show people how to do what daryl anger does um and uh but i, I think it's worth making the uh, a point um here that playing rhythm and playing melody are two different things 
Um, and and the idea of of keeping time with your with your body, like with your bow arm, having a good sense of rhythm, which like guitar players do, comes generally from keeping a some kind of a strum going, right? But um, mostly it's physicalized in their body, and that's the whole re- the guiding principle behind playing rhythm guitar or playing rhythm violin or rhythm cello um is to keep keep some kind of a groove physicalized in your body where you're feeling that subdivision in your arm now you know it basically comes down to a strum but it really um, doesn't have to be that you know all the time but that's very different from when you're playing a melody and you have to uh, follow the contours of that melody. You know, you can mm-hmm. play it as rhythmically as possible, but those are kind of two different animals. When you're backing up somebody as a rhythm player, or when you're the melody that somebody else is backing up. So no doubt. You know, they're... yeah, I was actually a trumpet player for a long time. Right. I didn't play violin at all for a while, right? And was primarily a trumpet player. And there's there's some parallels to draw when we're playing in like a horn band. You're doing a Chicago or a Blood, Sweat and Tears or a a, a Bruno Mars type thing. Yeah. When when we're playing trumpet players, when they're trying to really get those stabby percussive, we're actually using what they call double tonguing, and use your tongue to to articulate those, and we will alternate the T and the K sound. Right. So that you've got your tongue coming forward and then coming backward. And it helps you get that timing exactly right. If you're trying to go ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, right. it's not the same as ta-ka-ta-ta-ta-ka-ta-ta. So it helps you really dial in. Yes. It's, the thing about yeah. groove is really it's time. And the way my, my drummers had explained it to me when I didn't have good time was the snare and the hi-hat are determining where the beat is in time. And I was playing the same tempo as everybody else. I'm still playing 120 beats a minute. But where my beat was, was happening before their beat was in time. And they're like, so you can play in front of the beat, which is going to give it this sort of uh, frantic type sound. It's going to make it feel like it's trying to fall forward. Mm -hmm. And it's like a person who's running, but their torso is going faster than their feet are. (laughs) And they're eventually going to end up face first in the dirt. He said, then you can play on the beat where you're hitting exactly the same time I am. He said, and that sounds like mathematically that would be right, but it ends up sounding a little square. If you will hit, if your one is a couple of milliseconds behind my one, that's what we call the pocket. Mm-hmm. And that's when it gets, that snare hits, and then the violin, it's, it's just milliseconds behind it. But that's what's going to make that, it's going to make it bounce. And it's going to yeah. have this groove. We call it feel. And I've experimented with taking my, my playing and shifting it in, in Logic. I'll, I'll record a track and then shift it forward and shift it back versus the drum part. And if you shift it back to where it's just a little bit, a couple of milliseconds behind, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's like groovy and bouncy. Yeah. And that's where for me, I'm not really doing that much percussive stuff with my violin uh, the, the entry lick to this song notwithstanding, most of what I'm doing is is notes rather than percussion. Right. But if I can if I can get the timing where it's just a couple of milliseconds behind the drums, that's when it feels bouncy. You know, it's very interesting that you say that. When uh, when I first jo- joined Turtle Island and they were teaching me, Daryl was teaching me how to chop. Uh, and you know, in that group, we would take turns 
uh, being the drummer, basically, right? Doing the just a, a backbeat, just a chop, percussive backbeat while Mark was, you know, walking the bass and somebody else was soloing, somebody else was comping. Um, they had to keep reinforcing to me to push the chop, like get ahead of it. Because my instinct was to lock with whoever's playing the drums, to lock with whatever and line it up. And there was like, no, you are the, you're playing the hi-hat, you're the drummer, you have to push this. And even though it's gonna sound like you're like a sled dog trying to pull everybody, pull this heavy sled behind you, everybody's gonna be behind the beat. You've gotta stay in a little bit in front of everybody. Uh, Which is hard because you're chopping, you feels like you're in front of it. Exactly. And then when you're playing, you're trying to get behind it. So you've got to sh time shift <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, that's hard to do. It's it's a funny thing that I had never uh, never been aware of before. But uh, yeah, it's that it's that that feel thing that get in that pocket to to sound right and. And uh, as a little experiment for, for uh, all of our listeners, if you go and listen especially to jazz, I think you'll hear this more than anywhere else. Um, listen to the hi-hat of the drums or the, or the ride cymbal, like, you know, that thing that's kind of pushing the beat forward. And listen how everything else is just a little behind that, especially the sax players. The, the soloists mm -hmm. will, will tend to hang back, and that hanging back feel kind of got it's been getting further and further and further back because what the soloists used to do, what the sax player used to do in jazz is now what rappers do. Um, because yep. they're like, they've got all the words. It's like a Coltrane solo, you know. You know, it's all happening what with rap, now lyrics. Right. But they're sitting so far behind the beat that sometimes, you know, they call it like a drunken beat, um, you know, and it's it's just gets so far back. Um, but that drum is way out ahead and just keeps pushing it and keeps um, relentlessly pushing that beat forward while everybody else is hanging back behind it. And that's just uh, that's just the pocket, the feel that that you know depends on the on the style, of course, the genre. But um, it's it's usually there to some degree. Man, you can go back and listen to some Jackson Five stuff. Those guys were so groovy. Yeah. And their songs sound a lot faster than they are. Yeah. You know, you listen to ABC, the, the recording, it's like, ABC, easy as one, two, three, and I'm about two octaves lower, but <laughs> it's uh, it's there, it's not fast, and it's a pretty square beat, but like everything else is happening back behind it, and it makes it feel like it's propelling it forward, yeah. and, and it's like, it makes you want to move your booty. <laughs> yes, it does. That is the magic of the groove. All right, my friend. Um, hey, did you have anything on your mind you want to talk about in this uh, in this sphere of grooving and uh, uh, other other tricks of the groove trade? Man, I think yeah, just that timing thing is so important. And you know, I I've played in fairly large bands. The last band I was in was a six-piece band, so two guitars, bass, drums, vocal, and and me. And it was really so much like you've got to listen so much to what everybody else is doing. What are the guitar players doing? And then trying to to make sure I'm not interfering with that groove. Because at, if a person is really holding down that groove, they're actually going to be pushing and pulling against that beat a little bit. It's not like I just find three milliseconds behind and lock into that right. always. It, it could be in certain part, he's going to pull a little closer to that hi-hat and in certain parts he's going to pull a little further back 
you've got to leave them space to do that, to propel that groove one way or the other. Yeah. You know, if your drummer's locked in, whoever's doing the you know, whoever's doing that yep, the rhythm. is really sort of, they're controlling how deep that pocket is at any given point in time. So you got to give them space to do that. It might mean that I'm just playing whole notes or I'm laying back. But then when the guitar player goes to take a solo, maybe I'm stepping in and I'm going to cover that, that little, and then I've got to, I'm controlling the groove now. But, but you can have too many cooks in that kitchen. You know, the thing is, as classical players, we're so used to it. You got a stand partner and you're trying to match what your stand partner's doing. Whereas in like a rock context, like if that part's being covered, yeah, they got it. They got it. You know, he's find, got an amplifier. Find something it's else. loud enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, so I, I'll tell my students to listen to what you're hearing and then don't play that. <laughs> play something else. Yeah, <laughs> that's great advice. And it, and it is that rhythm player, that rhythm guitar player, who's creating that feel around the drum around the drum beat. That is. That's the stuff that I'm hoping string players will start paying more attention to. You know, we're always this melodic instrument, whether we're using distortion and playing a guitar solo uh, or whether we're we're clean and doing, you know, classical or a jazz melody. um, It's generally almost always been a melodic function. But this function of being that creating that pocket with the drum and the bass, being part of the rhythm section, is a whole new paradigm for string players. That's kind of what I'm really interested in, and that's why I love hearing stuff like the intro to the song when you're you're doing exactly that. You're playing that rhythm guitar part, you know, and with all of the all of the ghosting and rhythmic um, push that that has to create the whole song, and it's got a real percussive edge to it. Uh, you know, that's. Uh, uh, they don't talk about that the noise factor in in classical very much. I mean, you know, it k- comes up occasionally. They'll use a word like pesante, or some Italian version of noise. But um, <laughs> what we're, you know, um, because so much of classical music is based on on a, a um, kind of a determination of of beauty. Uh, I was talking about this with with Mimi uh, Rabson in in our episode. And she was like, you know, the, there's this classical sense of what beauty is that was kind of given to us and not really asked of us, like, what do we think is beauty? You know, she was like, to me, James Brown and that funky stuff the guitar is doing, that's beautiful. That's what I like to listen to. And, uh, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and just because w- we have a violin in our hands doesn't mean that we necessarily have to subscribe to the classical rules of beauty any more than you would sing a, a you know a Michael Jackson song with an you know like an operatic you know Luciano Pavarotti or something you know he's got a right. Pavarotti had a damn fine voice but couldn't really sing a Michael Jackson song to save his right. life so you know what I'm saying <laughs> well speaking of James Brown you know they they keep saying the violin is like the closest to the human voice and James had this signature yeah well we can do that. <laughs> Yep. And we've got all these little bites and slides and oh, that. Yeah. All these bites and digs and that. 
that we can make. Yep. That I don't know how to notate that. I, I've never seen it written in a piece of music, but I know that if I'm going to start a solo, man, that's a good way to. Just... <laughs> yeah, and it's totally appropriate and and kind of demanded in rock and roll. So it's you know different set of rules, different set of rules than than the ones in classical. You know, I'm curious. Did did you ever play guitar? Because you play violin like a guitar player. Uh, have you ever, you know, spent some some time with a guitar in your hands? I'm a really bad guitar player. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have played some guitar. I've got a couple of guitars in the office here that I, that I will use to write things. If I'm trying to figure out some chord structures or whatever, I'll write and, and also piano. Um, but yeah, most of my friends in Texas were guitar players. Um, all my influences are guitar players: Steve Vai, Eric Johnson. Satriani, Jimmy, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, those those are the voices that I hear yeah. in my head. So you can probably hear that in my playing where, yeah, it's like the guitar is what I, I guess I'm maybe a frustrated guitar player. <laughs> it's what I've been saying for years. But it's, you know, this is the, this bow is the thing that guitar players all wish they had. Yes. And I, I use a pick sometimes. I've got some songs where I use it. I don't have a pick sitting here, but I got a washer. <laughs> washer. <laughs> So I'll use that sound sometime. Yeah. I've got some in some of my recordings where I'm using a pick on the violin. Um, and we do it all the time with our band. We had picks with our name and stuff on them. And about four or five times a night, I'd snatch one off the guitar player's mic stand and play a little picked <laughs> thing, and then you chuck it out in the crowd. You know, Doesn't picks work. are disposable. I'm not going to throw. I was going to say it's crowd. it's a little more dangerous to throw a bow out to the crowd. You put somebody's yeah, eye it's out. Yeah, more expensive. I mean, I, I'm a Kodo bow artist. I get good <laughs> pricing on these, but it, it still ain't the same as as a pick. Uh, no, not exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of that. Very much a guitar player sensibility. Yeah. Um, is what I'm trying to go with, and and normally my sound is a very guitar-y kind of sound. Guitar-y is that was that like a gaming console? A guitar-y. <laughs> guitar nice. And as long as we're talking about guitar-y effects, um, give us a quick rundown of what you're using because you are Mister um, Effects and and Technology. You can you know you have the uh, uh, access to try anything you like down there. What'd you end up with for yourself? I have a Helix. I'm using the Helix for my, um, and then I use. Uh, Helix native for all of my recording. So I record direct into my computer and then everything is reamped using Helix native. So I'll, I'll get my tone just close enough that I can get a performance that I want. Right. And then I'll go back and reamp it. And I may say, oh, I want less distortion or I want, oh, let's try it without reverb. Wait, I would never say that. Um, <laughs> let's try it. Maybe we can, I can actually edit in the wah. I can program in a wah. Wow. Um, which generally, if I'm playing with a wah, I want to do it with my foot. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I can actually edit it later right. if I want to. Um, I can try different amp models. I can try different mics. Uh, I can say, ah, I'd rather use a different delay on that. So everything can be done in post. Right. And so, but live, I'm using the Helix, and then for my and it's big. They're huge. Yeah. Um, but for my fly rig, I've got an HX Stomp that just fits in my backpack. And you've got all the sounds programmed in there from your Helix. They're all programmed in there. And, and uh, yeah, so if I'm going to do an acoustic type sound in the Helix, um, it's got an impulse response reader. Mm -hmm. 
it's got a real it's got that real woody yeah kind of impulse response if you chop you can hear it yeah you can hear that, that, that violin acoustic. body just the wood huh so um it can do all that in here yeah do all your pitch shifting um i do like some of the where i can do i do a lot of playing in church and stuff so um i've got a sound where i'm i'm using some reverb where you don't i've got the dry sound dialed out you can hear it through you can hear my instrument through the mic but what's yeah. coming through the the speakers is all it's just the reverb itself And it just sort of kissed this washy, yeah. dwelly, churchy kind of thing. And and all of that can be done in the helix. We can do, uh, you know, we do some, some, maybe some doubling of the violin. We're in a mix. It's going to sound maybe there's two players playing in unison. Is that, is that a chorus? Is it just a chorus? It's actually, it's a doubler. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's there's a doubler module in here. Um, I can do. I've got some pitch shifting. Nice. That's really tracks well, doesn't it? Yeah. It it you get a little sort of the, almost that orchestra type sound. It maybe wouldn't fool anybody um, if it's soloed, but in a mix, right. the band's playing you. you Just kind of, it, it's reminiscent of an orchestra. Yeah, yeah no, that's So a... all that can be done here. And then my distortion sounds are all amp models. I'm not using any, like, quote, distortion pedals. This is a, an orange amplifier. So that's all done with amp modeling rather than distortion. Right. Um, I've got a, you know, you can put the... Uh, all your dives and bombs and stuff are all in here with the expression pedal. Nice. So, you know. Very cool. So everything that you can imagine is in the Helix. The only, there's a pitch shifter that's external. And then I've used this uh, organ machine to do um, some organ sounds. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so, just like an effect within the helix? That's a, it's a C9 pedal by Electroharmonics. Oh, so okay, that's a separate pedal. Right. So that's, you know... That's crazy, man. That's crazy so how yeah, that sounds like a... got that little B9 yeah. kind of chopping at that thing. Wow. And uh, in, a, in a mix, I've had piano players come up to me and go, man, I'm jealous of the organ sound you're getting out of your violin. <laughs> because, you know, in a mix, if you're sensible about how you do these things yeah. and you're not trying to do things that an organ can't do. Right. You know, violinists tend to, you know. Right. 
Right. Don't uh, bend like notes. Organ can't do that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I might do sort of that Boston thing they would do like with the putting their thumb on the tape machine. <laughs> Occasionally you would hear that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you try to stay. If you're going to do a fall, do it with notes. rather than do yeah. a violin fall, you'll do it the same way an organ player would. They just they just slide their right. hands down the keyboard right. and it ends up being more of a Exactly. <laughs> so it's just trying to get inside the head of different players. It's the same concept as strumboing. You're trying to get inside the head of a guitar player and emulate what they would do. If you're trying to to emulate a keyboard player, you've got to get inside their head. Yeah. Yeah. And then because they can play these really complex chords and we you know, at best are playing three notes at a time. Right. What I will generally try to do is to let the guitar players deal with one, three, and five of the chord. And I'll be throwing nines and thirteens in there, which complexifies the chord. And then it sounds more like, oh, there's a keyboard player playing. Right. <laughs> Very intelligent use of, of band dynamics and how you can... You know, it's a good example of how, as a string player, you can add to a band without stepping on somebody's toes, taking, you know, doubling what somebody else is already doing, you know. The bass player is almost always playing the root. Yeah, or the fifth. So, I, you know, in a, if you're playing chords on your violin, you can pretty much always leave the root out. Yeah. It's covered. The, the, certainly the bass player is playing it. Usually the guitar players are playing it. You know, if, if there's, you know, people singing harmonies or what, you can be sure that the root's covered. Yeah. <laughs> so you can start extending these arpeggios up. Even if you're playing Jesse's Girl or something, you know, you're not going to be playing a lot of major sevens and that sort of thing. But every now and then, just, you know, a little dash of some spice in there is going to make it sound a little less square. Yeah. And a little less bland. Yeah, especially in a solo or something like that when you can... Yeah, challenge yourself on a solo to, I'm not going to use the root in this solo on any chord. Yeah. It's covered somewhere. Yep, that's great advice, man. Very cool. And with that, I think it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. A little segment I call Not My Gig. Oh, let's find out what an idiot Matt <laughs> Bell is. And this is where I try my best to embarrass my guests by asking them questions about something they don't know, but it's gonna be really hard with you, man, because there's not a lot that you don't know about. Oh, we're about to find out. But we're gonna find <laughs> out, and and I have a feeling that, that I picked the wrong subject because Matt Bell, host of Rockstar Violinist, we're gonna find out how much you know about Rockstar Games, the video game company. Oh, man. Oh, I'm so sunk. I don't do any gaming. And it's funny because Epic Games, the company that does Fortnite, is actually based here in Cary, North Carolina. Oh, is that and right? And I know people who, who designed Fortnite, and I don't know anything about Well, I was hoping, because you seem like you're too busy to even eat dinner, I was hoping you'd be too busy to be like a big gamer and... Sounds like I was right. Okay, good. Nailed. In that case, I think we got a <laughs> we got a good a good chance here of stumping you. All right, here we go. So, Rockstar Games developed a software. But by the way, there's gonna be three questions. You get two out of three right. You win. All right. Rockstar Games developed a software application to facilitate game development on PlayStation, Xbox, Wii, and other computer systems. 
is the acronym for this software that they developed. A. RACE, Rockstar Application Controlled Extension. B. RAGE, Rockstar Advanced Game Engine. Or C. RATE, Rockstar Automated Transcode Environment. Uh, I'm a big Tom Morello fan, so I'm just going to go with RAGE. That's, that's Dude, all I you got. are totally right. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Totally right. Rockstar Advanced Game Engine. That's the key. It's the game engine. All right. Good. One out of one. Here we go. I only got to bat 500 now. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one, true or false? So you got a 50-50 shot. Grand Theft Auto, Rockstar's largest franchise has shipped over 350 million copies, making it oh the best-selling video game of all time. True or false? Uh, false. That is false. Ah! That is false. At eight... Anytime somebody says best, you yes, gotta go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm gonna play the odds. You see, I'm gonna make you're like a, you're or something. a cagey, cagey smart dude. At 851 million sales, the Mario franchise is the all-time sales leader in the video game industry. <laughs> yeah, there's some groove right there. There you they go, got some man. Eight bit groove. Some eight-bit groove. The next, the next biggest is Tetris at 495. Wow. There's only like 350 million Americans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Two out of two. You can ace the whole right. thing right here. All right. Third question. Which of these following games is also released by Rockstar Games? A. Red Dead Redemption. B. L.A. Noir. Or C. Manhunt. Is it bad that I've never heard of any of these? <laughs> um, I only know one of them because my son plays it. <laughs> I'm a redhead. I'll go with Red Dead. How's that? That is correct. <laughs> you are correct again. In fact, all three of those were <laughs> were correct. So, <laughs> so, dude, you aced it. Three out of three. My 10-year-old daughter always wins the bracket challenge, the NCAA bracket challenge that we have really? in our house. Because she knows nothing about basketball. <laughs> so she's filling out her bracket. She's like, I've never even heard of UNC. Uh, I don't know. Let's f Fordham. Yeah, sure, they'll win that game. <laughs> I like the name. Sure, let's pick that one. Yeah. I guess if you're an idiot, you can do okay on a test. <laughs> never worked for me, but, you know. <laughs> Well, dude, man, thank you for being a good sport, for acing the Not My Gig game, and for just being the incredible resource that you are for so many of us in this community who rely on your expertise all the time, man. Man, I, I appreciate everybody out there uh, believing that I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's it's a great gig, man. It's it's literally my job to sit around and mess with gear and violins. And I come into the shop and they're like, hey, we got this new thing. We really need you to to play with it so that you can answer questions. I'm like, okay. Hey, that's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. That's right. Not only that, but you know, I mean, I've learned so much about social media from you, just watching how you post, watching how you handle your podcast, uh, of which I'm a huge fan. And, um, 
you know, uh, if anybody has gotten to this point of the uh, of the interview and has not checked the uh, Rockstar Violinist podcast, you've got to go find it, subscribe to it, and enjoy any of the sixty five episodes that are up there. Uh, you will, you can thank me later. <laughs> yeah, start with Tracy Silver. Right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me, man. It's a real honor looking at the lineup that you've got. There's like all these like amazing artists and, and me. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, I can't wait to be hanging out in person again. Hopefully uh, we can uh, get together and share some frosty beverages. Exactly. And, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. Next time you're in Nashville, you got to give me a call. Let's do it. All right, brother. Thanks so much for taking the time for this, man. I know how busy you are. You bet. Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on.